Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Monday, July 27th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Catherine Barger, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. We appreciate your listenership, and there are some great interviews coming soon to the podcast, so if you haven't yet subscribed, please do. And while you're at it, leave us a review in your podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. And now, Supervisor Barger. Hello and good afternoon. I'm Supervisor Catherine Barger, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of our Public Health, is here to provide our regular updates on the number of cases and recent trends in Los Angeles County. The start of the school year is quickly approaching, and there are thousands of parents, students, teachers, and administrators trying to navigate the plans for the fall semester. While we have closely monitored COVID-19's impact on the health of our communities, we are also concerned about the social, economic, and educational impacts this virus will have. School closures deeply impacted families and exacerbated the digital divide in our communities. We must support students who are distant learning for the fall, especially those who are low-income English learners, those experiencing homelessness, foster youth, and those who have special needs. Last week, the Board of Supervisors voted to ask the state to provide ample resources that will ensure a positive distance learning experience for all students in Los Angeles County. This includes access to computer equipment, tablets, and Wi-Fi, plans for students who may struggle with distant learning, and the availability of community resource centers for students who need a safe place to learn. Simultaneously, there are many school districts throughout Los Angeles County that are confident they can implement in-classroom learning that will support the social and emotional well-being of children and teachers while protecting the health through physical distancing and effective cleaning protocols. Governor Newsom has acknowledged that not that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach and will not, that will not meet the needs of our communities. So the state is allowing schools and school districts to apply for a waiver for elementary school children. These waivers must include the support of parents, students, administrators, and teachers, which reflects the collaborative spirit of the effort. Clearly, the virus has presented, um, has presented unprecedented challenges that are made more difficult by the regional diversity of the state and of Los Angeles County. Handling this public health crisis and its impact on our residents and businesses has taught us we need to be adaptable to meet the needs of our communities. Last week, I opposed efforts regarding a charter amendment to the county's budget. This effort will permanently tie the county's hands on any financial decisions for future generations, regardless of any fiscal and policy issues that may arise such as health crisis or a national disaster. The proposed charter amendment would prevent any meaningful dialogue or policy deliberations for years to come and would stop those poli these policies from being addressed with accountability and more importantly, with public input. LA County should not have to choose between public safety and social services. We must have both to ensure the protection and prosperity of our communities. Every voice in the community matters. With the goal of ensuring representation for our communities, I'd like to remind everyone to please fill out the census if you have not done so already. The census accounts for 10 years of critical funding for hospitals, schools, meal programs, and more. 
programs that our vulnerable residents need, especially in light of this pandemic. During the last census, there was a dramatic, drastic undercount, and LA County lost out on millions of dollars to our, within our neighborhoods. Filling out the census will take less than 10 minutes to complete, and it is safe, secure, and confidential. Remember to count all the individuals in your household, including children. For more information and to fill out the census, visit my2020census.gov. Thank you for your time. Now I'd like to introduce Dr. Barbara Ferrer to give you the daily numbers. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Supervisor Barger and all the members of the Board of Supervisors. In these difficult and unprecedented times, you have provided tremendous leadership, strength, and grace. Uh, and good afternoon, everyone. It's been 145 days since the COVID-19 public health emergency was declared in LA County. 145 days in which this dangerous new virus has changed all of our lives, upending our daily routines and bringing significant stress to our families and businesses. It has claimed more than 4,000 lives in our county and infected over 176,000 of our residents. At the same time, these past 145 days have given us time to learn a lot more about COVID-19, how to coexist with it as we await the development of treatments and vaccines, and how to slow the spread to give our health system a fighting chance of treating those who fall seriously ill. I've said before that additional rollbacks or closures must remain on the table. But at this stage in the pandemic, we believe we have a lot of tools available that if fully utilized, should allow us to slow the spread without going back to the more stringent safer at home orders that were in place earlier in the pandemic. We've talked a lot about avoiding the three C's, crowded places, confined spaces, and close contact with others that aren't in your household. These are still vitally important. But today, I'd like to introduce a new set of three C's that will move with us in the long-term recovery that we all wanna see happen as soon as possible. These three C's are compliance, containment, and collaboration. Let's start with compliance. This applies to individuals who must wear face coverings, maintain physical distancing, avoid gathering with people they don't live with, and continue washing their hands and cleaning high-touch surfaces. It also applies to businesses, which must adhere to the health officer order, including implementing the strict infection control practices and distancing protocols that are in place to protect the workforce and the public. Compliance really is about everyone doing their part. We can move now to containment. We must contain the spread of the virus, and we can do that through testing, particularly in the hardest-hit communities, to identify those who, are, who may be positive. We know that our brown and black neighbors and those in poorer communities are bearing the brunt of this virus. They are infected at a higher rate, and they see the worst outcomes. Adequate testing, appropriate testing, can help us overcome this. In the last few weeks, my colleagues in the County Department of Health Services, led by Dr. Christina Galley, have announced expanded testing capacity by over 65% in response to these health outcome inequities. 
Another way to contain the spread is through case interviews and contact tracing to ensure people who are positive or exposed are isolated or quarantining. This is a critical tool, but it relies on our residents trusting us and sharing with us the key information needed to make sure this tool is effective. That's why we're moving forward with a pilot program to offer $20 gift certificates as an incentive for full participation in the interview process. And we're partnering with community-based organizations to better engage with our residents. We're also using an innovative and easy text message system to track close contacts during their 14-day quarantine period. And we're offering a hotline for all of those who have a confirmed COVID-19 test result to call for information and resources. We also continue to offer support, which includes making sure that people in need have access to isolation and quarantine sites. Since the onset of this pandemic, the county has provided those who have tested positive for COVID-19 or been exposed with a safe place to isolate or quarantine if they need it. We've helped more than 2,000 pe people protect their families and their friends and their community. It's especially important for our hardest hit neighbors who may live in households with many other people to have support during the pandemic. Many may not have the needed resources to ensure access to food and rent if they're, and paying their rent if they're unable to work. Ensuring a strong safety net is an essential component of our containment effort. And our businesses and our employers must also do their part. And they're required to alert us to any outbreaks at their work sites. Employers remain key to ensuring that we can move forward in our recovery journey. And now to our final C, it's collaboration. We need alignment across all sectors and government jurisdictions on health and economic imperatives to ensure that there are clear messages to the public, uninterrupted supply chains for testing supplies and personal protective equipment, and unity in strategies for reopening with as much safety as possible. This virus knows no borders. It doesn't stop at a county line or at a state line. And I'm extraordinarily grateful for the close collaboration that's in place now and for our partners at the Centers for Disease Control, at the state, with our neighboring counties, our supervisors and our board, and other cities here in LA County. But we do need to continue to strengthen our efforts together. There is mounting evidence that these strategies work. The task in front of us is to be able to thread the needle so that we can continue with our recovery journey while protecting the health and well-being of our residents, our workforce, and our community. And we have to figure out how to do both. The governor has told us when we'll be able to reopen key sectors, including schools. We need to lower our test positivity rate below 8%, and we need to have fewer than 100 cases per 100,000 residents. Today, our test positivity rate stands at 9%, and we have 400 cases per 100,000 residents. We're not where we need to be, but with all of our collective efforts, we can begin to move again in the right direction. And we're up to this challenge. We've bent the curve before. Now we're armed with a lot more information about this virus and what hampers it. We can protect our health and we can reinvigorate our economy, but these have to march together. 
Today, I also want to update you on a few key sectors that we look at to see how we're doing as a county. First, I'm going to start with the daily update, including an update on how cases are breaking down by age. Then I'll update, uh, update you on skilled nursing facilities, an area we monitor closely because it was hit so hard at the beginning of the pandemic. And finally, we'll look again, as we do every week, at how our healthcare workers, our frontline heroes in this, are faring. And now to today's update. I'm sad to report 17 additional deaths today. Seven of the people who died are over the age of 80, and six people who passed away had underlying health conditions. Seven of the people who died are between the ages of 65 and 79, and six people who passed away had underlying health conditions. One person who died was between the age, ages of 50 and 64, and this person had underlying health conditions. This, two of the people who died are between the ages of 30 and 49, and one person had underlying health conditions. This does bring the total number of deaths to 4,375 people in L.A. County. We extend our condolences to the many families, including Mayor Garcia of Long Beach, that are mourning the loss of their sisters, mothers, brothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and cousins. We know your hearts are broken, and we wish you peace and healing. We also offer our sympathies to the families and colleagues of our fallen public safety officers from LAPD and LA Fire Department. Please know how grateful we are for their service, and we're keeping you in our thoughts and prayers. 92% of the people who have died from COVID-19 had underlying health conditions. For the 4,083 people who have passed away where race and ethnicity has been identified, 48% are Latinx, Latinas, 25% are white, 15% are Asian, 11% are black, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race and ethnicity. We're also reporting 2,039 new cases today. And again, we still have a slight lag with reporting from the state electronic lab reporting system. This does bring the total number of cases in LA County to 176,028. These cases include total 7,479 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and a total of 1,897 cases reported by the city of Pasadena. We're reporting 989 confirmed cases among people experiencing, experiencing homelessness. 335 were referred to isolation and quarantine sites to appropriately isolate for the duration of their illness. Today, there are 2,017 confirmed cases that are currently hospitalized. 29% of the people with confirmed cases are in the ICU and 18% are on ventilators. We have investigated a total of 1,193 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Currently, we're investigating at 819 sites and we've closed 374 institutional investigations. Residential settings include nursing homes, assisted living facilities, shelters, treatment centers, supportive living, and correctional facilities. Non-residential settings include workplaces, food and retail, 
and educational settings. Today, I want to also announce that we have closed three additional workplaces uh, where they had significant outbreaks and had violations of our health officer order. The total confirmed cases in institutional settings is 25,883, including both staff and residents. 14,256 of these confirmed cases are residents, are among residents, and 11,627 are among staff. We're sad to report that 2,151 residents in institutional settings have died from COVID-19. Of these, 1,918 people resided in skilled nursing facilities. Of the 17 newly reported deaths today, excluding Long Beach and Pasadena, four were people who were living in our skilled nursing facilities. Please know our thoughts are with those who have lost loved ones who lived at our nursing homes to COVID-19. We're reporting 3,366 confirmed cases at some point in our jail facilities, 3,005 among people who are incarcerated and 361 among staff. The Sheriff's Office is reporting today for their facilities, 39 inmates who are positive, 838 people who are incarcerated and have recovered, 83 people who are incarcerated are in isolation, and 1,135 who are quarantined. There are 194 cases in the state prison, 136 are among people who are incarcerated, and 58 are among staff. And, that, and there are 757 cases in the federal prison facilities, 741 among people who are incarcerated, and 16 among staff. Today we're reporting 108 cases in the juvenile facilities, 41 among youth, and 67 among staff. We've had over 1,649,000 people tested and had results reported to LA County, with 10% of them being positive for COVID-19. Now I want to add a little bit of additional context to the daily update. Uh, last week we told you that young people were driving the majority of cases, and here's a slightly more granular look at cases and deaths by age group. Please bring up the first slide. Since May, the majority of cases have occurred among individuals between the ages of 18 and 49. The yellow line that you see on this chart represents the proportion of all cases among 18 to 29-year-olds. You can see that this age group is accounting for a sharply increasing percentage of cases. All the other age groups are either flat or decreasing slightly. The turquoise line at the top is the, other, uh, is the age group of folks that are between 30 and 49. We'll take the next slide. This slide shows the average deaths per day by age group. You can see it is declining for every age group, although most steeply for those 65 and older. Those are the two top lines. This is a lagging indicator, however, so it's difficult to say whether this trend will continue in the coming weeks. But again, you can see uh, by the turquoise line, uh, light blue line at the bottom and the green lines, uh, that we do have a significant number of people over time who are young and are, in fact, unfortunately, passing away from COVID-19. And I'll pull up the next slide. 
I want to share the results of the skilled nursing facility testing survey that was completed last week. We've experienced so much devastating loss at our skilled nursing facilities. And as part of our efforts to get ahead of potential outbreaks and identify facilities that needed the most support, we're now regularly surveying skilled nursing facilities on their compliance with mandated COVID-19 testing. Last week, 338 skilled nursing facilities responded to our survey. This includes some skilled nursing facilities in both Long Beach and in Pasadena. There were only two nursing homes uh, that did not complete the survey, and we're following up with both those nursing homes. A total of 12,192 nursing home residents were tested, and 351, or 2.9%, were positive. And a total of 18,669 staff were tested, and only 252, or 1.3%, were positive. These low positivity rates are a good sign. They're showing us that efforts are working, uh, that nursing homes are doing a much better job to being able to continue to slow the spread and to protect our vulnerable elders and their employees. When we last reported data a couple of weeks ago from surveillance testing at the SNFs, uh, the survey was done July 6th, 3.6% uh, of residents were positive and 1.3% of employees. We do have work to continue to do, but I do know that we've improved access at all of the nursing homes to essential personal protective equipment so that workers have what they need to stay safe. We've also taken steps to make sure that everyone is properly trained in donning and doffing their PPE. We've made numerous visits to skilled nursing facilities to provide guidance about effective infection control strategies, as well as countless follow-up visits to ensure compliance with the best practices. And we've worked to support skilled nursing facilities in their efforts to make sure that they can do regular testing as required by the state of their staff and as required by the county of their residents to make sure that we can get ahead of potential outbreaks. After seeing far too many deaths earlier this year, we are hopeful that these efforts and the partnerships that we have with SNFs will continue to result in measurable improvements in outcomes. And while we're deeply saddened by all the deaths, we are fortunate that we're continuing to see a decline in the seven-day average of daily deaths among people who reside in skilled nursing facilities. Can we bring up the next slide? This graph shows the seven-day rolling average of daily COVID-19 deaths. That is the top line on the graph. And then it shows the seven-day average of COVID-19 deaths among residents of skilled nursing facilities. That's the bottom blue line on the graph. As you can see with the green line, the average total daily deaths continue to decrease, as do average daily deaths among people residing in skilled nursing facilities. In interpreting this graph, I do want to note that the recent declines in the last few days can be in part a lag in, can reflect in part a lag in reporting. But even if we take this into account, total deaths and deaths in skilled nursing facilities are continuing to decline. In early May, when we were experiencing our highest, highest average daily deaths, our average daily total deaths was around 45, and our average daily deaths at skilled nursing facilities was around 25. 
Today, our average total daily deaths is around 28, and our average daily deaths at skilled nursing facilities is around six. These are deaths that are reported to us each day just for that particular day. They're not cumulative deaths that we report at the beginning of my daily uh, report out. Uh, that may include deaths that happened over time, but we just got confirmation today. To summarize, I do think that we're seeing a drop not only in deaths, but also in some of our infection rates at our skilled nursing facilities. Uh, and while this is giving us tremendous hope, we must remain vigilant and keep up these efforts. Uh, people who reside in our nursing homes and those who work in our nursing facilities are among the most vulnerable to this virus, and the conditions where they live and work make it pretty easy for infections to spread. It's tremendously important as we move to the next slide, and I update you on the impact of COVID-19 on our healthcare workers. Healthcare workers at skilled nursing facilities, as you'll see and have seen, tragically continue to be the most effective in terms of number of cases and deaths. And so our next few slides are going to provide an update to understand how coronavirus is impacting critical healthcare workers. As we all know, our healthcare system is made up of heroic people who put themselves on the front line every day to take care of our friends, our family, and our neighbors. That's why I want to spend a little time giving you a snapshot of how these essential workers are doing. As of July 26, a total of 11,481 healthcare workers and first responders have been confirmed to be positive for COVID-19 in LA County. This is an additional 1,149 new cases since the previous week. And it includes all healthcare workers and first responders who work at a facility in LA County, including those who reside outside of LA County. And I'll take the next slide. Uh, this slide shows the top 10 occupational settings where the highest number of cases have been reported. Healthcare workers who are employed in skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities continue to make up the highest proportion of cases at 35%. Um, but their proportion has uh, actually uh, gone down slightly because outpatient facilities are now reporting more cases there. The next slide. This slide shows uh, the occupational settings with the highest number of deaths reported for healthcare workers. And you can see that healthcare workers at skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities continue to make up a significant proportion of the tragic deaths at 65% of all healthcare worker deaths. The next slide, please. And finally, we've had a total of 74 COVID-19 related deaths among healthcare workers in LA County. And as we've reported before, nurses, and this includes uh, LVNs and practical nurses, continue to account for, most, for the most deaths at 45%, followed by caregivers at 11%. We grieve as a community for those heroic healthcare workers we've lost to this virus. Their commitment to caring for the most vulnerable, the sickest, and the neediest is awe-inspiring and should motivate all of us to do everything we can to slow down the virus and to protect our loved ones and those who care for our loved ones from COVID-19. We're watching the numbers closely this week as we did last week, and we need to see our data stabilize and start to decline in some areas. We're looking at case numbers and hospitalizations, 
and we're tracking deaths and hoping we don't see any more increases. Like I said at the beginning, we must all comply with the public health directives in place. We have to continue to wear a face covering, continue to practice physical distancing, and continue to avoid gathering with people who are not in your household. We must all contain. If you're feeling sick, stay home. Call your doctor. If you get a call from a contact tracer, please tell the tracer who you've seen and where you've been. The information is confidential, and we won't tell anyone that you are positive for COVID-19. But we do need your help to stop the spread of the virus, and we need to collaborate, and together we can heal uh, and move forward. Uh, with that, I'll take your questions. And ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press one zero at this time. You'll hear a tone indicated and placed in queue, and you will be announced ready for your question. Once again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press one zero at this time. Uh, first question will be from Patrick Healy with NBC4. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you very much. And um, ladies, if you'll indulge me, three questions today. First off, more information about these gift certificates for people who cooperate with the contact tracers. How many of them do you have and, and how does it work? Secondly, uh, maybe I missed it, but I noticed that hospitalization is now being reported in two categories, uh, positively confirmed and suspected. So do we, in fact, think the number of hospitalizations has actually decreased or not? And finally, uh, school waivers, uh, do we believe that a teachers' union should have veto power over a district's right to seek a waiver? Thank you much. Okay, on the first one, I'll let Dr. Ferrer answer. Um, and then I don't know if Dr. Galley wants to answer on the hospitalization. Okay, Dr. Ferrer will answer all of them. Uh, thanks a lot, Patrick. Um, so the gift certificate program will roll out next week. Uh, we have thousands of gift certificates, uh, and we anticipate running the pilot for, the fir for three weeks and then doing an assessment. But obviously, anybody who completes uh, their interview in the first three weeks is going to be uh, given uh, their gift certificate. Um, so we're going to do it for three weeks and then uh, see if this actually uh, works. I mean, we're hopeful that it will work. We really respect that people have to give us an hour of their time, and we're hoping that this incentive will make it easier uh, for people to commit to uh, spending that kind of time with us. Uh, in terms of confirmed cases, uh, we've always reported uh, confirmed cases for hospitalizations. That's all. That, that number that you hear from me every day is just the number of people that are confirmed and positive as being positive for COVID-19 and are hospitalized. But we do collect information and have since the beginning on both suspected cases and confirmed cases. And if you look on our, uh, on our dashboards, both ours and DHS, you'll see both numbers. But again, we track on both and it's easiest to explain every day uh, when we just report on confirmed cases. So that's, what, that's the information you're always getting from us is confirmed cases. And it has, in fact, dropped slightly. Uh, we are waiting to make sure that uh, as the state uh, finalizes the system it's using to reporting to HHS now, that we haven't really missed any information. We think there are still six hospitals uh, that don't have their data included into the runs that we're getting from the state at the moment. Uh, but I don't anticipate that would increase uh, the numbers we reported today uh, by a lot. 
Um, in terms of teachers unions uh, having veto power, you know, the state has set the parameters uh, for that waiver process. It includes getting letters of support from uh, all of the unions that help uh, operate in the schools. Uh, our, we're hopeful that the, you know, it also asks that you work with the parents uh, and the families. Uh, so, you know, our hope is that since it takes an entire uh, community at school to make sure that schools are as safe as possible, that everyone works together on their waiver applications. But we'll go on and take the next question. Next question will be from Colleen Shelby with the Los Angeles Times. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Um, I'm wondering, just since we're you know now in the middle of summer where travel may increase, if there's any concern that residents traveling from different counties or into our county uh, could change the numbers or lead to more another increase. And I'm also wondering if, you know, kind of along those lines, is it too early to talk about next steps for reopening or lessons we've learned from the last reopening to avoid um, kind of any resurgence? Yeah, thanks so much, uh, and I appreciate the question about visitors coming into the county. Uh, and I know every county feels the same way, and you know, you hear a lot of discussion about how can we make sure that as, as people, particularly in the summer, are traveling, uh, that they're adhering to the rules that we have in place here in our county. And I will say that's our biggest concern, that visitors are coming from other places. They need to understand in this county you are required to wear a face covering, you are required to keep your distance from others. Uh, we do ask that everybody help us with infection control. And I think that's the biggest issue as people come in is they need to understand. We have a set of rules. It's kind of a social contract uh, for being in our county right now. And we need everyone uh, to adhere to those because those are the very same steps that actually make it harder to transmit the virus uh, and easier to prevent uh, people from getting infected from each other. Uh, in terms of the second question about lessons learned, I think it's a, a great um, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's a great question to ask us because we are, uh, you know, really uh, almost six months into uh, our experiences with this virus. You know, the one thing uh, that I know we all appreciate, and I think the biggest lesson for us has been how hard and challenging it is because it is a new virus and how information changes uh, as our scientists and researchers uh, understand better how this virus is interacting with all of us. Uh, and I think that's made it a challenge uh, for the public and a challenge for those of us in public health uh, because we are sometimes asking people to do things differently. Uh, and I'm the first one to admit, you know, how wrong we were when we thought there wasn't a lot of asymptomatic spread and how wrong we were when we didn't uh, think that uh, masking up, you know, wearing cloth face coverings was going to afford a lot of protection. Um, and I think uh, as we move through, you know, I keep top of mind that uh, as we continue to learn more about this virus, we may have to make other adjustments uh, in the future. Uh, and that's just um, the path that we're on. And it does have implications uh, for the recovery journey. Right now, we're laser focused on making sure that people understand that we have some tools at hand that allow us to slow the spread. We also know now, uh, without a doubt, uh, that wearing face coverings uh, really helps protect other people and may in fact help protect the wearer, uh, making it more important that uh, people be uh, in settings when they're gonna be around folks that aren't in their household where it's possible to wear those face coverings as much as possible. And I think that's the direction we're moving in. You know, we've learned uh, the science is catching up uh, to uh, being able to help us as we produce directives and guidance. 
Um, and as we move forward, we have to take every opportunity to take whatever tools we have right now, uh, use them to our full capacity uh, to slow the spread. There will be more tools in the future, and that'll change what we're able to do or not able to do. You know, uh, I am hopeful around uh, changes that will happen around testing uh, that'll make it easier for us to test more people without it resulting in backlogs uh, so that people are waiting too long to get their test results. And I'm very hopeful about there being therapeutics and about a vaccine. In the meantime, we have some tools. They work if we use them. And I think that's the biggest lesson we've learned. So thanks a lot for that question. We'll take the next question. Our next question will come from Claudia Pesciuta with KNX News Radio. Please go ahead. Please get more details about the three workplaces that were shut down, um, which sites and how many cases and uh, what were the alleged violations. And then also um, the CDC has put out new guidance on isolation. And so I'm wondering if, uh, if you'll be updating uh, the guidance for your department based on that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I can give you information on the three sites uh, where we issued health officer orders last night, uh, but uh, you'll need to go to our website today to find out the exact numbers of people who are positive. They're all sites where there were outbreaks of, I believe, more than 40 people who were infected. SNS is one, Mission Foods, and Golden Foods. Those are the three sites. Uh, and again, uh, they have significant outbreaks amongst their employees. We were not notified as we're required to be notified once they had their three cases. Um, and our inspectors have asked them to make uh, some modifications uh, to really uh, enhance their infection control pro protocols at all three sites. But the information on uh, the exact number of cases that are positive at those sites will be posted uh, today. So everybody will be able to get that exact information. And the second question was about, um, I forgot, Claudia. Uh, Claudia, your line's open again. Yes. Sorry, Claudia. Yes, uh, it was about uh, the new CDC guidance oh, yeah. on isolation. <laughs> yes, okay. uh, yes. Um, so we're reviewing the new guidance that CDC issued on isolation. Uh, we're reviewing, obviously, the research behind uh, the change in the guidance. Um, I will tell you that we've already worked with the state um, and we've already agreed that um, in order to, um, you know, be done with your isolation, uh, instead of waiting to have 72 hours of being fever-free and symptom-free, uh, the CDC has now recommended that it's only 24 hours, and we've all agreed, uh, based on the literature, that that makes sense. So it's still te 10 days minimum. And you have to now, instead of having 72 hours where you've been fever-free and symptoms have subsided, you now just need 24 hours uh, where you've been symptom-free and uh, fever, uh, and your fever is gone. So uh, we've agreed with that, and we're working on uh, making sure those modifications, I believe, are already being added to all of our protocols. So thanks for that question. Next question, please. Uh, next question will be from Allison Cohen with Las Feliz Ledger. Please go ahead. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Ferrer. I have four questions uh, briefly about the waiver process for schools. Why um, have a waiver process at all? It, does it have anything to do with 
the lawsuit that was filed last week or any impending lawsuits that may be forthcoming. When can schools apply? Third question is what constitutes a community organization in the language of the, the waiver application? And I'm wondering if you would consider a hypothetical. For instance, um, a school in Los Feliz may be interested in uh, applying for a waiver. Los Feliz has had 129 cases and two deaths. If they were to have the uh, other required paperwork listed in the order, would I mean I know you're not going to approve it hypothetically, but I'm just trying to get a sense of how a school in a neighborhood would receive a waiver. Does it have to be low cases, low deaths, or is it just about the uh, the paperwork that's filed in support? Thank you, Dr. Perra. Uh, th those are all great questions. I, I can't answer all of them definitively. Um, I don't know about the lawsuit. Um, it didn't really have anything to do with what we're doing here in our county. Um, in fact, the governor and the State Department of Public Health have set up a waiver process for our county and 34 other counties um, because we have high rates of community transmission right now. And that's what drove the decision to not allow us to reopen our schools for in-classroom instruction. And the waiver was meant to address the fact that uh, it may be possible with enough modifications and some slowing of community spread for some elementary schools, or it's really, it's really for students in grades TK through six, uh, to be able to return uh, to their campuses for some uh, in-classroom instruction. The state is the, the entity, and this is the California Department of Public Health, that has laid out the waiver process for us. They've asked that there be an application. It needs to be submitted by a superintendent. It needs to have letters of support. We've clarified that for sure the letters of support have to come from employees. If there's a union, if there are unions representing employees, then it's from unions. If there aren't, then it's employees uh, signing a letter of support and from parents. Uh, we're not clear whether we still are required to get letters of support from community-based organizations, and we're getting clarity from the state on that. We're also getting clarity from the state on what are, uh, are there going to be a set of metrics that they're going to be asking the counties to use as they review the applications. They've already indicated that we need to review epidemiological data, and we are preparing for every school district information for that school district on uh, trends in both cases and deaths and death rates and case rates over time. So every school district will have the same information we'll have to make an assessment yourselves about what's going on in that school district as you are going about submitting uh, your application for the waiver. Uh, we do have an obligation as set up by the state to consult with the State Department of Public Health before granting any waivers. And so again, we're looking for additional guidance from the state about what that process would actually look like and uh, what, how quickly uh, we're gonna be able to get through a review process by the state. Uh, we'll be prepared uh, as soon as we get clarity from the state to open up the application process here in LA County. We're hoping that's only a matter of days away. Um, and again, uh, that will allow people, and be, it'll be transparent. People will see exactly what we're using for the review process. We just have to work closely with the California Department of Public Health so that we're, not, so that we're able to give people accurate information about that review process 
probably not helpful for me to sort of go to the hypothetical until I actually have uh, more clarity on what the state was expecting uh, counties to use. But I do want to acknowledge that the reason for the waiver is that there is an acknowledgement that with uh, attention to infection control and social distancing, you can modify some of the risk uh, in these school settings. That's the reason uh, why there was uh, an appetite for making sure that we offered a waiver uh, application process across the state. And again, that was something that was put forward by the State Department of Public Health. We have time for one more question. Uh, then our last question will be from Brenda Gazar with South California News Group. Please go ahead. Hi there. Thank you so much. Um, the results from the, the surveys that were conducted at SNF last week, I was wondering if they only looked at testing or what other issues uh, they also asked and if those um, results will be made, not results, that the surveys could be made available to the public. And my second question is whether healthcare workers, the number of healthcare workers' deaths, deaths will be released to the public because right now uh, the total number of deaths for both workers and residents are listed. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot uh, for the first question on, uh, on what's going on with skilled nursing facilities and our testing. Uh, this is a, a routine test. Uh, it's part of their routine surveillance. Uh, as a reminder, they need to test 25% of all employees uh, every week so that by the end of a month, four weeks, they've tested all their employees. We've added an additional requirement that they also have to test 10% of all of their uh, residents. Uh, and yes, uh, we're happy to post this information. It may take us uh, another day to get it up and figure out what's a, a good way uh, for it to get posted. But uh, we will post it, and you'll also be able to see at which skilled nursing facilities uh, did we have positive uh, test results from employees and from uh, residents. I do want to say that uh, it, in all, uh, less than half of the skilled nursing facilities that uh, conducted the testing had any new cases, either among staff or among employees. The vast majority of places that had testing had no new cases on this round, which is really the positive news here. But yes, we're happy to post that information. And now we're going to go to Spanish. Buenas tardes. Hace 145 días desde que COVID-19 se declaró una emergencia de salud pública en el condado de Los Ángeles. 145 días en los que este virus nuevo y peligroso cambió nuestras vidas y rutinas diarias y causó estrés significativo para nuestras familias y negocios. Se cobró más de 4,000 vidas e infectó a más de 176 de nuestros residentes perdón, 176,000 de nuestros residentes. Además, estos últimos 145 días nos han dado la oportunidad para aprender mucho más sobre COVID-19, cómo vivir con el virus mientras esperamos el desarrollo de tratamientos y de vacunas, y cómo frenar la propagación para darle a nuestro sistema de salud la oportunidad de proveer cuidado médico a las personas que caen gravemente enfermos. Los cierres adicionales todavía son una opción, 
pero en esta etapa de la pandemia creemos que tenemos herramientas disponibles que si se utilizan por completo deberían permitirnos reducir la propagación sin volver a las órdenes más estrictas que existían anteriormente en la pandemia. Sabemos la importancia de evitar a multitudes, espacios cerrados y contacto cercano con personas que no viven en su hogar. Estos consejos siguen siendo tan importantes. Pero hoy nos gustaría presentar un nuevo conjunto de tres Cs que se moverán con nosotros hacia la recuperación a largo plazo que todos queremos que suceda tanto antes posible. Estas tres son cumplimiento, contención y colaboración. Comencemos con el cumplimiento. Esto se aplica a las personas que deben usar cubrebocas, mantener distancia física, evitar reunirse con personas con las que no viven y continuar lavándose las manos y limpiando superficies de alto contacto. También se aplica a los negocios que deben cumplir con la orden del oficial de salud, incluida la implementación de prácticas estrictas de control de infecciones y pautas de distanciamiento para proteger a la fuerza laboral y al público. El cumplimiento se trata de que todos hagan su parte. Ahora pasaremos a la contención. Debemos contener la propagación del virus y podemos hacerlo mediante pruebas, particularmente en las comunidades más afectadas, para identificar los que son positivos. Sabemos que nuestros vecinos, latinos y afro afroamericanos, y aquellos en las comunidades más pobres, son los más afectados por este virus. Están enfermándose a una tasa más alta uh, y experimentan resultados más serios. Las pruebas adecuadas pueden ayudarnos a superar esto. En las últimas semanas, el Departamento de Servicios de Salud del Condado de Los Ángeles anunciaron una capacidad de prueba ampliada por más de, del 65% en respuesta, perdón, en respuesta a estas iniquidades. Otra forma de contener la propagación es a través de entrevistas de casos y a través del rastreo de contactos para garantizar que las personas positivas o expuestas estén aisladas y en cuarentena. Esta es una herramienta crítica, pero depende de que nuestros residentes confíen en nosotros y compartan con nosotros la información clave necesaria para que esta herramienta sea efectiva. Es por eso que avanzamos un programa piloto para ofrecer una tarjeta de regalo de 20 dólares como incentivo para la plena participación en el proceso de la entrevista. También hemos trabajado en compañerismo con grupos comunitarios para interactuar mejor con las personas a través de las comunidades. Utilizamos un sistema de mensajes de texto que es innovador y fácil para rastrear contactos cercanos durante sus 14 días de cuarentena y ofreciendo una línea directa para aquellos con casos confirmados de COVID-19 para solicitar recursos y información. También seguimos ofreciendo asistencia de lo que incluye garantizar que, los, que las personas necesitadas tengan acceso a sitios de aislamiento y cuarentena. Desde el inicio de la pandemia, el condado brinda a quienes dieron positivo a COVID-19 o están expuestos a un lugar seguro para aislar o ponerse en cuarentena si lo necesitan. Este servicio ha ayudado a más de 2,000 personas a, a proteger a sus amigos, familiares y comunidades. 
es especialmente importante para nuestros vecinos más afectados que pueden vivir en hogares con muchas otras personas. Nuestros negocios y empleadores también deben hacer su parte y informarnos sobre brotes en sus lugares de trabajo. Los empleadores son clave para garantizar que podemos avanzar en nuestro viaje hacia la recuperación. Y nuestra final C es colaboración. Necesitamos alinear, uh, alineación en todos los sectores y gobiernos locales sobre los imperativos económicos y de salud para garantizar mensajes claros al público. Eh, no solo eso, pero también tenemos que tener alineamiento sobre suministros y equipos de protección personal y unidad en estrategias para reabrir con la, con la mayor seguridad posible. Este virus no conoce fronteras y estamos agradecidos por la colaboración que existe ahora y por nuestros socios en los Centros para el Control y la Prevención de Enfermedades en el Estado y con nuestros condados vecinos y nuestras ciudades aquí en el Condado de Los Ángeles. Pero necesitamos seguir fortaleciendo nuestros esfuerzos juntos. La evidencia es clara de que estas estrategias funcionan. El trabajo que nos enfrenta es para continuar con nuestro viaje hacia la, hacia la recuperación mientras protegemos la salud y el bienestar de nuestros residentes, nuestra fuerza laboral y nuestra comunidad. Tenemos que hacer todas estas cosas. El gobernador nos dijo que podremos reabrir sectores clave, incluidos las escuelas. Necesitamos reducir nuestra tasa de positividad a menos del 8% y necesitamos tener menos de 100 casos por cada 100,000 residentes. Hoy nuestra tasa de positividad es del 9% y tenemos 400 casos por cada 100,000 residentes. No estamos exactamente donde debemos estar, pero con todos nuestros esfuerzos colectivos comenzaremos a avanzar nuevamente en la dirección correcta. Aplanamos la curva antes y ahora armados con más información sobre este virus, podemos proteger nuestra salud y ayudar a nuestra economía, pero debemos hacerlo juntos. Hoy queremos actualizarlo sobre algunos sectores que estamos vigilando para ver cómo vamos. Y luego les daremos más información acerca de los centros de enfermería especializada, un área que vigilamos de cerca porque fue muy afectada al comienzo de esta pandemia. Y finalmente veremos nuevamente datos acerca de los trabajadores de salud, eh, héroes de primera línea en este momento. Ahora la, actual, la actualización de hoy. Hoy estamos tristes de reportar 17 fallecimientos adicionales. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 4,375 en el condado de Los Ángeles. El 92% de las personas que fallecieron por COVID-19 tenían condiciones delicadas de salud. Para las 4,083 personas que fallecieron donde se identificó la raza de etnicidad, el 48% son latinas, el 25% son blancas, el 15% son asiáticas, el 11% son afroamericanas, menos de un por ciento son nativas de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y un por ciento son de otra raza de etnicidad. Hoy reportamos 2,039 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado a 176,028. 
estamos reportando 989 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. 2,017 personas con COVID están actualmente hospitalizadas. El 29% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y 18% están en ventiladores. Investigamos un total de 1,193 entornos de congregación residenciales y no residenciales, con al menos un caso confirmado de COVID-19. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 25,883, incluidos tanto el personal como los residentes. 14,256 de estos casos confirmados son residentes y 11,627 son empleados. Nos da tristeza informar que 2,151 residentes en entornos institucionales han muerto por COVID-19. De ellos, 1,918 personas residían en centros de enfermería especializada. La Oficina del Aguacil reporta sobre sus instalaciones que 39 personas encarceladas dieron resultados positivos. 838 se han recuperado, 65 personas están en aislamiento y 1,135 están en cuarentena. Hay 194 casos en la prisión estatal y 757 casos en prisiones federales y 108 casos en las instalaciones juveniles. 1,649,442 personas se han hecho una, la, la prueba de COVID-19 y sus resultados han sido reportados al Departamento de Salud Pública. El 10% dieron, positivos, dieron resultados positivos. También nos gustaría agregar uh, contexto adicional a la actualización di diaria. La semana pasada les dijimos que los jóvenes eh, representaban la mayoría de los casos. Hoy les daremos un poco más de información. Eh, first slide, please. Thank you. Desde mayo, la mayoría de los casos han ocurrido entre individuos entre las edades de 18 y 49 años. La línea amarilla en este gráfico representa la proporción de todos los casos eh, entre jóvenes de 18 a 29 años. Puede ver que este grupo de edad representa un porcentaje cada vez mayor de casos. Next slide. Este gráfico muestra el promedio de muertes por día por grupo de edad. Puede ver que está disminuyendo para cada grupo de edad, eh, aunque más abrupta, abruptamente para los mayores de 65 años. Sin embargo, este es un indicador, un indicador rezagado por lo que es difícil decir si esta tendencia continuará en las próximas semanas. Next slide. Ahora queremos compartir los resultados de la encuesta de pruebas de centros de enfermería especializada. Hemos sufrido una gran pérdida, tan de, una pérdida tan devastadora en los centros de enfermería especializada. Como parte de nuestros esfuerzos para adelantarnos a posibles brotes y identificar instalaciones que necesitan mayor apoyo, eh, evaluamos periódicamente las instalaciones de enfermería especializada en cuanto al cumplimiento de las pruebas obligatorias de COVID-19. La semana pasada, 338 entornos de enfermería especializada respondieron a nuestra encuesta. Solo dos no completaron la encuesta. 
se evaluó a un total de 12,192 residentes de hogares de ancianos y 351 o 2.9% fueron positivos. Se evaluó a un total de 18,669 empleados y solo 252 o 1.3% fueron positivos. Estas bajas tasas de positividad son una buena señal. Nos muestran que nuestros esfuerzos están funcionando y que los hogares de ancianos están haciendo lo que tienen que hacer para frenar la propagación y proteger a nuestros seres queridos más vulnerables. La última vez que informamos datos de pruebas de vigilancia en los centros de enfermería especializada, hace un par de semanas, según una encuesta realizada la semana de 6 de julio, el 3.6% de los residentes eran positivos y el 1.3% de los empleados también eran positivos. Eh, hemos trabajado para mejorar el acceso a equipos de protección personal uh, esenciales en hogares de ancianos para que los trabajadores tengan lo que necesitan para mantenerse seguros. También hemos tomado medidas para asegurarnos de que todos está, estén debidamente capacitados para ponerse y quitarse el equipo. Realizamos varias visitas a los centros de enfermería especializada para brindar orientación sobre estrategias efectivas de control de infecciones, así como uh, varias visitas de seguimiento para garantizar el cumplimiento de estas mejores prácticas. Trabajamos para apoyar a los centros de enfermería especializada en sus esfuerzos eh, por realizar pruebas periódicas de su personal y residentes para asegurarnos de que podamos adelantarnos a posibles brotes. Y después de ver demasiados fallecimientos a principios de este año, podemos ver que estos esfuerzos y la asociación que tenemos con los centros de enfermería especializada han dado mejores resultados. Y aunque estamos profundamente tristes por todos los fallecimientos, afortunadamente seguimos viendo una disminución en el promedio de siete días de fallecimientos diarios entre las personas que residen en centros de enfermería especializada. Next slide. Este gráfico muestra el promedio de siete días de fallecimientos diarios de COVID-19, que es la línea superior del gráfico. Y el promedio de siete días de fallecimientos de COVID-19 entre los residentes de centros de enfermería especializada, que es el resultado final del gráfico. Como puede ver con la línea verde, el promedio de fallecimientos diarios totales continúa disminuyendo, al igual que los fallecimientos diarios promedios entre las personas que residen en centros de enfermería especializada, que es la línea azul. Al interpretar este gráfico, es importante tener en cuenta que las recientes eh, caídas en los últimos días pueden ser en parte un retraso en, los, en la presentación de informes. Pero incluso teniendo esto en cuenta, eh, los fallecimientos totales, los fallecimientos en centros de enfermería especializada continúan disminuyendo. Hoy nuestro promedio de fallecimientos diarios totales es de alrededor de 28 y nuestro promedio de fallecimientos diarios en centros de enfermería especializada es de alrededor de 6. Para resumir, ahora estamos viendo una caída no solo en los fallecimientos, sino también en las tasas de infección. Y aunque esto nos da esperanza, sabemos que debemos permanecer atentos y continuar con estos esfuerzos. 
los residentes de centros de enfermería especializadas y aquellos que trabajan en centros de enfermería uh, se encuentran entre los más vulnerables uh, a este virus y a las condiciones en las que viven y trabajan facilitan la propagación de la infección. Los siguientes gráficos proporcionan una actualización para comprender cómo el coronavirus está afectando a los trabajadores de salud. Next slide. Eh, eh, hasta el 26 de julio, un total de 11,481 trabajadores de atención médica y personal de primeros auxilios han sido confirmados con COVID-19 en el condado de Los Ángeles. Se trata de 1,149 casos nuevos adicionales desde la semana pasada. Y este gráfico muestra las, los 10 tipos de trabajos donde se ha informado el mayor, la mayoría de casos. Los trabajadores de salud que trabajan en centros de enfermería especializada y centros de atención a lo largo plazo, continúan representando la mayor proporción de casos con un 35%. Pero su porcentaje ha ido disminuyendo a medida que aumenta el número de casos en entornos ambulatorios. Next slide. Este gráfico muestra los entornos de trabajo con el mayor número de fallecimientos eh, reportados para trabajadores de salud. Puede ver que los trabajadores de salud en los centros de enfermería especializada y los centros de atención a lo largo plazo siguen representando una proporción significativa de estos fallecimientos trágicos en el 65% de todos los fallecimientos de trabajadores de salud. Next slide. Finalmente, tenemos un total de 74 fallecimientos relacionados con COVID-19 entre los trabajadores de salud en el condado de Los Ángeles. Como hemos informado anteriormente, las enfermeras y enfermeros siguen representando la mayoría de los fallecimientos, 45%, seguidos por los cuidadores con casi 11%. Todos debemos cumplir con las directivas de salud pública que están vigentes. Seguir cubriéndonos la cara con nuestra mascarilla, seguir practican, practicando la distancia física y evitar reunirnos con personas con las que no vivimos. Todos debemos contener si se siente eh, enfermo, quédese en casa, llame a su doctor y recibe una llamada, eh, si sí, sí, recibe una llamada de un entrevistador uh, de contactos, informe al entrevistador a quién ha visto y a dónde ha estado. La información es confidencial y no le diremos a nadie quién tiene COVID-19. Necesitamos su ayuda para detener el virus. Okay. And now we'll go ahead and um, take questions. Our question will come to the line of Norma Roque with KMEX Channel 24. Please go ahead. Estamos viendo que según los números, eh, el este de Los Ángeles, que es su zona no incorporada, presenta ahorita el caso más alto de casos de coronavirus. Le sigue North Hollywood, Pacoima, Silmar, Van Nuys, o sea que son zonas de familias latinas. Uh -huh. ¿Qué le quieren decir hoy a las familias latinas, sobre todo aquellas que viven varias generaciones en una sola casa? ¿Cuál es el mensaje urgente hoy para tratar de bajar estos números de coronavirus? Gracias. Uh -huh. 
Muchas gracias por esa información. Um, es tan importante que utilizamos las herramientas que tenemos. No teniendo una vacuna en este momento, lo que sí tenemos es poder utilizar nuestras mascarillas, poder mantener nuestro distanciamiento físico. Y eso es, uh, incluye no solo mientras estamos en el trabajo, pero también cuando estamos haciendo nuestros mandados esenciales. Uh, utilizar esas herramientas no es solo para mantenernos uno mismo uh, seguros, pero también a nuestros seres queridos. Así que es tan importante que trabajemos en compañerismo entre familia y también con nuestros empleadores. Es tan importante que los negocios uh, sigan esas pautas de las, las directivas de salud pública, porque eso es lo que nos mantiene a nuestros, uh, a nuestros empleados y a nuestros uh, clientes seguros. Um, hemos, el Departamento de Servicios de Salud ha estado aumentando la cantidad de pruebas en varios, varias vecindades, incluyendo el estado de Los Ángeles, la, la supervisora Solís ha hablado de eso en el pasado y, está, y seguimos con esos planes para asegurarnos de que las uh, comunidades que no solo trabajan en, en trabajos esenciales, pero también que puedan vivir, como, menciona, como mencionaron, uh, en hogares con varios, uh, varias generaciones uh, para asegurarnos que todos nos mantengamos seguros. Okay. And now we'll go ahead and move on to remarks in Armenian. Բարեոր բոլորին, շնորակալ են վերահսկիչ բարգերեն և վերահսկիչ մարմինների ողջ խորորդին։ Անցել է 145 օրջ լոս անջերսում կովիտ 19-ի հանրային առողջապահության արտակարգ դրություն հայտարարելուց։ 145 օր, Այն ավելի քան 4000 կյանք է խլել եւ վարակել է ավելի քան 170000 մարդ։ Միևնույն ժամանակ այս անցած 145 օրվա ընթացքում մեր մեծ ժամանակ է տվել շատ ավելին սովորել COVID-19-ի մասին։ Ինչպես կարելի է գոյատևել դրա հետ, քանի դեռ մենք սпасում ենք բուժման եւ պատվաստության զարգացման եւ ինչպես դանդաղեցնել տարածումը մեր առողջապահական համակարգին տալու բուժելու մարտական հնարավորություններ ես նախկինում ասել եմ որ լրացուցի շրջադարձեր կամ փակումներ դերսեղանի վրա են բայց համաճարակի այս փուլում մենք հավատում ենք որ մենք ունենք գործիքներ, որոնք լիովին օկտագորցելու դեպքում մեզ թույլ են տալիս դանդաղեցնել տարածումը, առանց վերադառնելու ավելի խիստ անվտանգ տնային պատվերներին, որոնք ավելի վաղ առկա են համաճարակի ընթացքում։ Մենք շատ խոսեցինք խոսափելու մարդաշատ վայրերից, փակ տարածքներից եւ ընտանիքում չբնակվող մարդկանց հետ ցերտ շփումից։ Դրանք դեռևս կենսական նշանակություններ ունեն։ Բայց այսօր ես կցանկանայի ներկայացնել նոր փատետ, որը մեզ հետ կտեղափոխվի երկաժամկետ վերականգնումը, որը մենք բոլորս ցանկանում ենք տեսնել հնարավորինս շուտ։ Համապատասխանություն, զսպվածություն եւ համագործակցություն։ Եկեք սկսենք համապատասխանությունից։ Սա վերաբերվում է այն անհատներին, ովքեր պետք է ունենան պահպանեն ֆիզիկական հերավորություն, խոսափեն սերտ կապերից, 
եւ չհավաքվեն մարդկանց հետ, որոնք իրենց տան անդամները չեն, շարունակել լվանալ իրենց ձեռքերը եւ մաքրել հաճախ հպման մակերեսները։ Այն վերաբերվում է նաեւ բիզնեսներին, որոնք պետք է պահպանեն առողջապահության նախարարի հրամանը, ներառյալ վարակի դեմ պայքարի խիստ պրակտիկները եւ հերավոր ուղեցույցների կերառումը աշխատա ուժը եւ հասարակությունը պաշտպանելու համար հիմա մենք տեղափոխվելու ենք զսպավարության հրահանգին մենք պետք է նվազացնենք վիրուսի տարածումը եւ դա կարող են կանել փորձարկման միջոցով մասնավորապես առավել ծանր հարված ունեցող համայնքներում նրանք վարակվում են ավելի բարձր տեմպերով եւ տեսնում ենք ամենավար արդյունքները համապատասխան փորձության կարող են օգնել մեզ հաղթահարել դա Վերջին մի քանի շափատների ընթացքում վարչաշրջանի առողջապահական ծառայություններ իմ գործընկերները հայտարարեցին, որ ավելի քան 65%-ով ընդլայնված է տեսավորման հնարավորությունները։ Տարածումը դանդաղեցման մեկ այլ եղանակ է դեպքերի հարցազրույցների եւ կապի հետագծման միջոցով, որպիսի մարտիկ, ովքեր դրական են մեկուսանան եւ կարանտինացվեն։ Սա շատ կարևոր գործիք է եւ իրենց 14 օրվա կարանտինի ընթացքում սերտ կապերը հետևելու համար եւ հաստատված COVID-19-ի մարդկանց համար թեժգից առաջարկելով ռեսուրսներ եւ տեղեկատվություններ տեղեկատվությունների օգնության։ Մենք նաեւ շարունակում ենք աջակցություն ցուցաբերել, որը ներառում է այն, որ կարիքավոր մարդիկ մուտք ունենան մեկուսացման եւ կարանտինացման վայրեր։ Այս համաճարակի սկզբիցի վեր վարչաշրջանը նրանց ովքեր դրական փորձություն են ցուցաբերել COVID-19-ին ապահովության տեղ գտնեն մեկուսացման եւ կարանտինն ապահովելու համար եթե դրա կարիքները ունեն։ Այժմ համագործակցություն։ Մեզ պետք է բոլոր ոլորտներում եւ կառավարության իրավասությունների համախմբումը առողջական եւ տնտեսական հրամանների վերաբերյալ հասարակական արջև հաստատ ուղեղցներ ապահովելու անխապման մատակարարման ցանցեր եւ միասնականություն սահմաններում հնարավորինս անվտանգությամբ վերաբացվելու համար այս վիրուսը սահմաններ չգիտի բայց մենք միասին պետք է շարունակենք ուժեղացնել մեր ճանքերը այսօրվա իրավիճակի վերաբերյալ այսօր ցավով հայտնում ենք եւս 17 մահվան մասին Այս մարդկանցից 7-ը 65 տարեկանից բարձր են, որոնցից 6-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Երկու անձի տարիքը 30-40-ին է, մեկը ունեցել է ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Մեկ անձի տարիքը 50-65-ն է, որը ունեցել է ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 4375-ի Լոս Անջելոս շրջանում։ 4083 մարդկանց համար, ովքեր մահացել են ռասա էթնիկական պատկանելությունը հետևյալն է։ 48%-ը լատինո լատինեքս, 25%-ը սպիտակ, 15%-ը ասիական, 11%-ը աֆրոամերիկացիներ, 1%-ը բնիկ հավայան եւ 1%-ը այլ ռասա եւ էթնիկ խումբ։ COVID-19-ով մահացած անձանց 92 տոկոսը ուներ ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Ինչը կարևորում է այն անձանց, ովքեր առողջության լուրջ խնդիրներ ունեն։ 
մնալտանը եւ հնարավորինս խուսափել սերտ կապերից այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 2039-ը նոր դեպքերի մասին եւ սա բերում է լոս անջելոս շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուրթիվը 176028-ի այս դեպքերը ներառում են լոնգ բիչ քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 7479 դեպքեր իսկ փասադենա քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 1897 դեպքեր որոնք ունեն անկախ առողջապահական բաժանումներ մենք հայտնում ենք 989 հաստատված դեպք անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց շրջանում ապաստան գտած 335 անց պաճաճ կերպով մեկուսացված են իսկ սերտ կապերը կարանտինացված են ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել է 2017 մարտ որոնցից 29%-ը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժանմունքում իսկ 18%-ը միացված են շնչառական օդափոխիչների ներկայումս քննություններ են կատարվում 1193 ինստիտուցիոնալ բնակչության հաստատություններում դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ, ապաստաններ, բուժման կենտրոններ, օժանդակվող բնակելի հաստատություններ եւ քրեա կատարողական հիմնարկներ։ Ինստիտուցիոնալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերը 25883-ն են ներառյալ անձնակազմը եւ բնակիչները։ Այս դեպքերից 14256-ը բնակիչներ են, 11627-ը անձնակազմ։ ցավով են հայտնում որ 2151 մարտ ովքեր ապրում են ինստիտուցիոնալ պայմաններում մահացել են COVID-19-ից ինստիտուցիոնալ միջավայրում բնակվող մահացածներից 1918 մարտ բնակվում են հմուտ բուժ քույրական հաստատություններում մենք զեկուցում ենք որ հաստատված 3366 դեպքեր գրանցվել են քրեա կատարողական հիմնարկներում 3366 դատապարտյալ եւ 361 աշխատող 194 դեպք նահանգային բանտերում 136 բանտարկյալ եւ 58 աշխատակազմ 757 դեպք ֆեդերալ բանտերում 741 բանտարկյալ եւ 16 աշխատակազմ 108 դեպք անչափահասների հաստատություններում 41 դատապարտյալ եւ 67 աշխատակազմ։ Եվ Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի արձանագրված բոլոր դեպքերի զեկույցը կարող է տեսնել առողջապահության վարչության կայքում publichealth.lacanet.gov։ Մենք այս շափատ ուշադիր հետևում ենք թվերին։ Մենք պետք է տեսնենք, որ մեր տվյալները կայունանում են։ Մենք հետևում ենք դեպքերի թվերին եւ հոսպիտալացումներին։ Եվ ես ինչպես ասացի սկզբում, մենք բոլորս պետք է հետևենք առողջապահական հրանգներին եւ շարունակենք հակնել դեմքի ծածկ, շարունակենք պահպանել ֆիզիկական հերավորություն եւ շարունակենք խուսափել հավաքույտներից այն մարդկանց հետ, որոնց հետ չենք ապրում։ Ավելի քան 1600 ներողություն։ Ավելի քան 1,649,442 մարդ տեստավորվել են եւ արդյունքները զեկուցվել են Լոս Անջելոս շրջան, որից 10% դրական են։ 
Մենք բոլորս պետք է հետևենք առողջապահական հրահանգներին եւ շարունակենք հակնել դեպքի ծածկ, շարունակենք պահպանել ֆիզիկական հերավորություն եւ շարունակենք խուսափել հավաքույտներից այն մարդկանց հետ, որոնց հետ չենք ապրում։ Եթե զգում եք հիվանդեք, մնացեք տանը, զանգահարեք ձեր բժշկին։ Եթե զանգեք տանում կոնտակտային հնակետից, խնդրում ենք պատմեք հետախույս տեսուչին ու մեկ տեսել եւ տեղեկությունները գախնի են մնում եւ մենք ոչ ոքի չենք տեղեկացնի որ դուք ունեք կովիդ 19-ը անհրաժեշտ է ձեր օկնությունը հետքերով վիրուսը տարածումը դանդաղեցնել եւ մենք պետք է համագործակցենք բոլորս միասին կհաղթահարենք շնորհակալություն Thank you This concludes the press conference This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.